0: Well, good morning again, Christ Community Church. If you could take a copy of your Bibles and open up to 1 Peter chapter one, we're going to start at verse twenty-two and read through chapter two, verse three. Take a copy, open up on your phone, and if you don't have a written copy of the Word of God and you would like one, make sure to find one of the pastors, one of the elders. Afterward, we'd love to make sure that you have a copy. It's the most important book you'll ever own. So open up to your copy of God's Word, 1 Peter 1, verse 22. We'll start there. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good.
1: We're going to ask for God's help in understanding these words as we listen again, but we're going to sing our prayer for God's help. Would you join me in turning to hymn 413? It is a prayer, 413. We're going to sing the first and last stanzas, standing as we sing. Last week I began my sermon with nobody's favorite subject, grammar. And I'm going to risk it again. Even if grammar does not exactly flip your switches, it can help us understand God's Word better. So, for example, last week we looked at the difference between indicative sentences and imperative sentences. The imperatives of the Bible, commands, invitations, requirements, follow the indicatives of the Bible. What God has done, is doing, and will do for us. That is, to review a little bit longer... God does not start with telling us what he expects of us. He starts with telling us who he is and who we are if we are rightly related to him. And what he's done for us. And only then does he issue imperatives. Do this. Do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Now if you can't keep those two words straight, you can join my club. I don't always do it either. In fact, one time I made this distinction in a sermon between indicatives and imperatives. And at lunch that day, I I told a funny story, but it fell flat because I said imperative when I should have said indicative. And my children very quickly set me straight on that. The vocabulary, remembering those two terms, is not the important thing. What is important is to Remember, and to look for this as you read the Bible, that what God is and what God does precedes what God asks or commands of us. His gracious salvation precedes our life of grateful obedience. Today's grammar lesson is more entertaining. It's about mixed metaphors the kind of thing that used to get you in trouble with your English teacher in school. Now, a metaphor is a figure of speech in which something is applied to something else which uh, suggests a resemblance, even if it's not a literal resemblance. Uh, a couple of examples, um, God, or one example, God our rock. God our rock. We know that God is not a hunk of stone. He's not made out of granite. But calling God a rock says something um, poetic, important, imaginative, hugely important about the nature of God. God our rock. Well, mixing metaphors uh, can sound like this. I collected a few Um, biting the hand that rocks the cradle. Or, I smell a rat, but I'll nip him in the bud. Or, I wouldn't eat that with a 10-foot pole. Or, let's get all our ducks on the same page. Now those are the kinds of things that could get you uh, graded down if you wrote them on an essay in school. Uh, Mixing metaphors is considered clumsy in English. Not so for the biblical writers. The Hebrew poets and prophets and the New Testament preachers had no problem mixing metaphors. Your English teacher was not around at the time to correct them for this. And in today's text, we're going to see an example of this. Peter mixes his metaphors when he talks about, uh, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. So let's look at the text phrase by phrase from the beginning. Returning to the text we heard Joe lead us in reading, 1 Peter 2, beginning at verse 22, where the apostle writes, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, or now that you have taken a spiritual bath by obeying the gospel. That's a legitimate translation. Some scholars actually think that 1 Peter is a baptismal liturgy. That is the script for a worship service during which people are baptized. So that the first 21 verses of this epistle are the indicatives, what God has done and who we are by virtue of our union with Christ by faith. And then beginning in verse 22... The candidates were told, now that you've been baptized, now that you have been washed, clean, now that you have taken this ritual bath that baptism represents, what now? What now? I don't think that 1 Peter is a baptismal liturgy. It's a creative theory. It is certainly understandable that the letter has been written that way. I just don't think that that's what Peter had in mind. But we can still say, with those who hold that view, now that you belong to Christ, now that you understand that you are God's chosen elect, resident aliens, now that you grasp that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have all had a hand in your salvation, which is, by the way, a great reality, past, present, and future, now that you've obeyed the truth of the gospel, verse 22, what follows? You have sincere love for your brothers. You didn't realize this, but you know a Greek word, Philadelphia. That's the word that Peter uses here, brotherly love. Now, you have, now that you have obeyed the gospel, now that you have purified yourselves by accepting and embracing the truth, you have sincere love for your brothers. Now I think it's noteworthy that Peter doesn't say that you ought to have love for your brothers, you should have love for your brothers, or have love for your brothers. He says, you do. It just follows that if God's love has touched your heart, then God's love is in your heart. John says the same thing in his first epistle. First John, if you claim to be a Christian but don't love your brothers, don't think, well, I guess I'm just an imperfect Christian. He says, you, you probably, you're you not a Christian. You're not a Christian. We are not free to say, well, I, I realize that Love is a growth area for me that I'm going to have to work on someday. Maybe next January when I make new resolutions because this month is already over. It's too late for 2023. No. Love is not optional. It is the mark of the Christian. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply. Peter wants us to grow in love. You do love your brothers because you're a Christian. Continue to grow in that area. Grow in that area for, verse 24, you have been born again. uh, Verse 23, you've been born again. The reason that Peter can say you do in fact love your brothers, now grow in love this virtue of love, is because you've been born again. You can do this. You can do this. You have God's life in you. If you were to say to somebody who does not have God's life in him, love your brothers deeply, you would be asking the nearly impossible. But when you have been born again, made a child of God, and you have his supernatural life in you, then you can do what comes naturally, (laughs) according to your new nature. Live out this supernatural life that began with the new birth. You have been born again, and here comes Peter's first metaphor. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring Word of God. The Word of God, whether written or proclaimed, is seed. It's seed. You heard a sermon or a campfire talk, and the seed of the gospel took root in your heart and began to make you a new person. You uh, stumbled across a Christian broadcast on the radio, or saw a gospel tract somewhere, and the creative, living Word of God was implanted in your heart and began a brand new you. Now, the seed that leads to physical birth is perishable. Like all things biological, it will die. But Peter wants us to know that the seed that leads to spiritual birth is imperishable. The life that it starts will go on forever. Mr. Chin, like most North Koreans, grew up an atheist, in fact, believing that Christians, because this is what he had been taught, harvest other people to eat their organs that the Bible is full of evil and should never be read. Well, he may have lived his entire life in this delusion and the dictator worship that is so brutally enforced in the world's most repressive regime. But in the 1990s, a devastating famine hit North Korea, took the lives of three million people. Imagine that, three million people starving to death. Mr. Chin risked death to cross the border to China, where he heard that churches were giving away food. While there, he received not only food, but a Bible. and He was reluctant to read it at first, but he did read it and believed, and a new life began. And after that, Mr. Chin began periodic crossings of the border. Risking torture and death every time in order to bring seed, God's word, back to his home country. Know this, nobody ever becomes a Christian apart from the word of God. Nobody ever starts new life in Christ apart from the word of God. You may nurture good relationships with your unbelieving friends and God will use that loving relationship to soften their hearts but at some point they're going to have to hear the word of God. Uh, A church can engage in all kinds of creative programming that will get people's attention and get them to cross the threshold or go on a bus up to Door County and our church camp but at some point if they're ever going to be one with Christ, and a member of God's family, the seed of God's word is going to have to take root in their heart. Paul put it this way. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It is seed. And to underscore that it is enduring, Peter quotes one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Isaiah 40 in verses 24 and 25. All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Um, Human beings and all of our products will wither, as does the grass, but not God's word. And this is the word that was preached to you, Peter says. North Korea's regime would love to destroy the Bible. I have seen a picture of a museum there where they have some of the Bibles that they have confiscated, the few Bibles that they didn't shred or burn. Um, But they're not going to succeed in destroying the Bible. Western democracies do not typically shred or burn Bibles, but have other ways of ignoring it or trying to get around it. I read about one such attempt from a surprising source, The conservative book project. There is a political conservative who wants to compile good reading for his fellow conservatives and one of the projects is to um, bring the King James version of the Bible up to date. And here was an example of one of the adjustments made where Paul says grace and peace to you from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and where Peter writes in the salutation of his letter that we're studying, grace and peace be yours in abundance, these revisers have said um, peace of mind because they're afraid that the word peace, undefined, sounds a little bit too much like (laughs) anti-war. But God's word will be heard when North Koreans and muddle-headed conservatives have all turned to dust. And this is the word that was preached to you. This is the seed. Well, in verse 1 of chapter 2, by the way, you remember that the chapter divisions in our Bibles were not original. They were added centuries later and sometimes they service well and sometimes not so much. This is one of those occasions where the subject matter doesn't really change. Um, Paul, or Peter says, therefore, in view of what I've been saying about your being born again by the seed of God's word, which is imperishable, unlike all human products, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. I think Peter is still talking about love. He hasn't changed subjects. He's just fleshing out what love looks like. Love refrains from community-destroying behaviors and attitudes like malice, ill will, self-serving behavior, dishonesty of various kinds. And, And Peter doesn't want his readers or us to think that the specifics that he mentions are the only sins to be avoided. So he says, of every kind. Maybe he knows that we can deceive ourselves into thinking that we're all right as long as we just adhere to a limited list of do's and don'ts. Honesty in some areas. I remember hearing a story about a man who took his date to Kentucky Fried Chicken to pick up some chicken that they were going to take to the park for uh, a picnic together. After they went through the drive-thru and got to the park, they opened the bucket and found that instead of chicken, there was $800 in the bucket. The assistant manager had put the cash proceeds of the morning in a bucket and then somebody accidentally passed that bucket out the window to this man well he put the money back in the bucket they drove back to kentucky fried chicken where the assistant manager was frantic and returned and said we got this by mistake and the manager said you must be the most honest person in town i'm going to call the local news and have them interview you and take your picture because this story is on this. Nobody does this. And the man said, Oh, oh no, 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 please, no news coverage. The woman I'm with is not my wife, it's somebody else's wife. Was he honest? Yeah, not according to Peter, who wants us to be honest in every area. Honest. And above board with the Kentucky Fried Chicken franchise. Honest and above board with other married people. Avoid these love compromising, love destroying behaviors and of every kind. Now for Peter's other metaphor. Verse 2. Like newborn babies, crave Pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Milk. The food that helps the newborn grow. The food that helps the born again grow. What is it, this spiritual milk? Well, if you're looking at the King James Version, you'll see that it translates this, the sincere or pure milk of the word. The grammar can be translated either way, milk of the word or spiritual milk. But even if spiritual milk is a better translation, it still leaves open the question, well, what is this spiritual milk? And since I began by talking about mixed metaphors, maybe you can figure out that Peter is talking about the Bible again, the word of God, the gospel. It is seed and it is milk. Seed and milk. In Peter's mixed metaphors, God's word is the seed that gives us life and the food that nourishes life. God's word is the seed that gives us life and it's the food that nourishes life. You were given life by the implanted word of God, through it you were born again, and now that same word, a new metaphor, is the sustenance that you need to grow up. Your friend comes to faith in Jesus in a home Bible study. The seed took root. Now how is she going to grow up in her faith? Through Bible study. Somebody attends an evangelistic meeting and God opens his heart to receive the seed. What is the counselor going to advise? Get into a good Bible preaching church because that's where you will be fed. Peter's mixed metaphor is not clumsy. It tells us that we grow as a Christian the same way we became a Christian. You cannot grow up in your salvation. You cannot grow as a Christian apart from the word of God. So he says, crave it. Crave it. He doesn't just say, you got to hear it, you got to listen to it, you got to read it. You have to desire it. The Bible not only commands behaviors and attitudes, it commands desires. You need to desire the milk of the word. I'm not going to tell the whole story today. Some of you have heard the story of my father's conversion in his 30s, a dramatic turnaround of his life. He was seriously lost before he trusted Christ as his savior. But I will tell you this piece of the story. After he became a Christian, my dad craved the word of God. This man who had dropped out of school in the eighth grade and had probably never read a book between dropping out of school and his conversion, read through the whole Bible in the old King James Version at that in just a few months because he had an appetite for God and God's word. He craved it and that's a mark of a true believer. Is somebody who doesn't have to have his arm twisted to come to Bible study or to get into the book, we crave the milk that will grow us in our relationship with Christ. Now, you may have to cultivate that taste. It does not come naturally according to our old nature. You may have to wean yourself off of spiritual junk food. But you can do that because you've been born again. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, Peter continues. Crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, we might think that Peter is mixing his metaphors again. What is it that we taste? The Word of God or is it the Lord Himself? Yes, because in the word of God, we encounter God himself. This is different than other books. If I read Charles Dickens, I'm not looking for a relationship with Charles Dickens. I want a story. And if I read the news online, I'm not looking for a relationship with the reporter, especially if he's from CNN. I'm looking for the facts. But when we read the word of God, we encounter God himself. That's why I chose the song, the prayer, before the sermon. Beyond the sacred page, I seek thee, Lord. I hope that even if we don't sing that but a few times a year, it is all of our attitude as we come to this part of the service. It isn't just to hear a preacher talk for 25 minutes. It's to encounter God. Beyond the page, I seek thee, Lord. Some of you know that periodically I go on eBay shopping for 1984 NIV Bibles. Since 2011, when the publisher's gave us a revised NIV. It's been harder and harder to find Bibles that replace those in our pew rack or in our classrooms. And so um, I go on eBay and I shop for either bulk supplies of pew Bibles or fine leather covered Bibles that I sell at cost in in my ABF. (laughs) A while back I came across this listing for an NIV Bible. Get this. This is all in bold font. Bigger than the rest of the font around. Describes what year it was printed, what study helps are available. This part's in bold. This is one of my favorite books of all time. Do not start this book if you have anything else to do because you will not be able to put it down. (laughs) There's a reason for that. The living and enduring word of God gives us life and nourishes life. Got milk? Let's pray. Father, would you use this portion of your word to, among other things, help us crave your word more. To value it, to cherish it, to be hungry for it, to read it, study it, hear it proclaimed. That we may grow thereby, now that we've tasted, but we want more, more than one taste. Now that we have tasted how good you are. This we ask, of course, for Jesus' sake and in his name, but we ask it for our own sake as well. And let all his people say, Amen. Stand for the benediction, which again comes to us from the closing lines that Peter wrote to his readers and to us. May the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered for a little while, himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the dominion forever and ever.